it's a really tough world out there at the moment. There's lots going on externally, which exacerbates internal pressures. And I think the more that we can start to break down those barriers and have those conversations as part of the normal conversations, the better. You can be your biggest ally, but also your own worst enemy. And, you know, making sure that people do understand it should be a priority for team members. I think that's the only way we can really change things. everyone and welcome to a brand new season of diversifying data i am your host raki sharma and today i am so excited uh, to be joined by two people that i'm hoping to learn a lot from uh in this in this particular episode uh first is melissa king she is a trustee at bromley lewisham and greenwich mind and also a dei specialist and secondly it's roxanne green who is a strategic account director here at kubrick my personal work wife and um, mental health first aider for anyone at Kubrick who is always curious in terms of who they can reach out to for for anything. So welcome to both of you. Thank you so much for joining. Oh, thank you for Good having me. The theme for this month, such a fun one, is um, beating the January blues. And pretty obvious why we're uh, talking about it in the month of January. We're, we're all back to work. It's, you know, brand new year, new year, new me is plastered about pretty much everywhere. What's your new year's resolution? What are you going to achieve? It's an immediate rush of feeling like you need to have your life together. And um, I'm pretty sure this is affects not only people within the data industry, but people in general. So um, the aim of today is to just give people out there a really nice way of, of phrasing things differently or framing things differently in their head when it comes to you know January blues or getting back to work or whatever kind of anxieties they have around that so we were just talking about what blue Monday is which is you know deemed the saddest day of the year and everyone has that to look forward to when they come straight back from Christmas so this year um don't even know if I want to say the day that it's been pinpointed as but it is a day in January um but for people out there who aren't familiar with blue Monday um what is it in essence and um, why has it been pinpointed as such? I think um, it's classed as sort of being the third Monday in January. Statistically that's quite far away from um, looking forward to, to holidays and, and summertime um, but also quite far into January in the sense that people are already starting to break their New Year's resolutions. Christmas feels like a distant memory yeah, so yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and having to try and get back into the swing of getting up early and going to work every day. So. I mean that's something that pretty much everyone can relate to so yeah I get it. Um, is that the same for you as well? you class blue monday is that yeah i think um again i i don't really like to put it on a specific day i kind of so so depressing yeah, that there's I, a day for it <laughs> i think it's more of like you know i guess january blues is a bit more of a generic term yeah. for it i think it's just that you know getting back into a routine after maybe you know you know, a lot of people have time off over the festive season. So it's, you know, a big change and a, and a big adjustment. And kind of once you're in the swing of things, maybe pre uh, the festive period, then you're kind of used to it. You know, you're on a roll, but actually coming back is that bit harder. Yeah. So, yeah, long, long nights, horrible early, weather early normally. Starts <laughs> yeah. It's dark outside. You just think it's criminal that I have to get on a train and get exactly. to work when it's like sleeping time. Yeah. Um, but I think you touched on it and it's, it's important for us to discuss why, January is a tough month in general for a pretty for a lot of people and it's a I think the problem is is that it's such a variety of different reasons and probably an amalgamation of all of them to some degree so the cold weather the dark mornings um end of celebrations where December's kind of 
the month where things wind down anyway. So I feel like I probably shouldn't say this, but I feel like I'm on holiday for about 15th of December because no one's <laughs> answering my emails. Nobody wants to talk to me from then. Inbox is great because you're just like, nope, no one's responded, no one's responded. And then it's the complete reversal of that uh, come you know January 3rd or wherever you go back to work. Um, you know, money pressures as well from having overspent. It's If it's an, a combination of all that's pretty tough. Um, I guess to both of you, are there any personal anecdotes that you can share from sort of having dealt with that on your own and also being so involved in your own uh, organizations and also for you being a mental health aider? What would you say to just someone saying, I'm dealing with all of this all at once? Sort of my perspective, um, and maybe this I try and apply this to any issues that I might be facing is trying to like break it down as well. I think you know we're talking about Christmas and festive periods with almost an assumption that it's positive, and for lots of people it's not. And we're facing into some really serious issues coming into the new year, and you never know what someone else is going through, right? So I think being able to kind of you know just be on that journey with somebody to to make sure they're able to break down any issues they are facing and, and kind of just make them feel like they're not alone I think that's really important um alongside that when I was actually doing the mental health first aid training um we were talking a little bit about the campaign it's okay not to be okay that yeah. was quite an interesting concept because actually um the lady who was training us said actually I, I don't agree with that it, it's actually not okay to not be okay yeah. but it's not okay to be alone and so I try and really kind of think about that when, you know, if people are coming to me for support in mental health first aid um, and yeah, just kind of being a signposter rather than, you know, any form of counselling or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Um, Melissa, from your perspective as well, if someone, I guess, because you're, um, you know, you've got such a wide remit mind as well for dealing with different boroughs, not even just a company or a small subsector of people, if someone comes to you with that huge amount of tick list of everything that they're worried about and building up to in the new year is there anything that you would off the bat recommend to them I mean I think when people come for advice around um, mental health I think there's an immediate pressure that you need to know the answers and you need to be able to make that person better and I think that's why um, partly why there's still so much stigma about talking about mental health because there's this fear that if you don't know the answers, you're not gonna be able to help people. And particularly when I look at the work I do with Bromley Lewisham and Greenwich Mind, they're such, three such diverse boroughs and mental health culturally is dealt with very differently in, in different cultures. Many different things play into what works for different people to manage their own mental health. Mm -hmm. So I think for me, the key thing is about um, listening without judgment um, and just being really open. I think sometimes if someone's talking to you about mental health issue and you're immediately relaying it back to something that you've experienced and said, oh, when I was going through something like this yeah. or, you know, you uh, as a human, I think it's part of us having conversation to try and relate to what someone's telling you and be able to have that rapport and almost play it back in your own terms. But actually, I think it's OK in these situations just to listen. Um, that person doesn't necessarily want you to have all the answers. Mm -hmm. They just want to feel heard. Yeah. Um, and I think sometimes it can be really distracting if that person is just coming back with lots and lots of advice. So yeah. for me, it's just about really about making sure that you're giving them the time, the space to kind of offload, talk to you about what's going on um, and really just be able to play it back to them. Tell them what you've heard. Ask them, ask them more questions, ask them because often people have the answers within themselves around Absolutely. how they can help themselves. 
but it just can feel incredibly overwhelming with lots going on. So, yeah, I think for me it's listening without judgment. So important. Um, and I think because with all the build-up of these issues and coming into a brand new year and feeling this sort of almost invigorated need to prove a point that you are going to be do better this year you're going to turn over a new leaf be a new person do all of this it's a lot of pressure um mentally financially you know you're going to get your finances sorted and that's going to happen immediately um when we're talking about work specifically we've throughout the podcast i think we've spoken quite a lot about people seem to have two different personas you know, your work, you don't bring anything to work, you do your work and you go home. But work is such a huge part of our lives. And I I am the most, I talk to everyone. I have my people at work and I, I just get everything out there. But it's, it's tough for a lot of people to be able to vocalize that. How important do you think it is for people to be able to have those type of conversations within or feel comfortable in a sense to have those conversations at work as well as outside work? Yeah, I, I think this is absolutely critical. Um, I do think that um, mental health is still very stigmatised. Um, probably on a on a scale, you know, it's it's improved from where it was five years ago. It's improved from where it was ten years ago, but it's absolutely not where it needs to be at the moment. Um, and I think the more that we can do, so even though the concept of Blue Monday is quite depressing, mm. what is really good is it gets us having these conversations and it gets us talking about the factors, as you referenced, um, Roxy, around it's okay not to be okay. Um, and, you know, almost helping people to feel that they're not alone at this time of year and feeling a little bit rubbish. So I think for me, organisations um, have an obligation to be using events like this, but also for leaders to be normalising mental health conversations right. on a day-to-day -day basis, to be sharing their own vulnerabilities. You know, no one is immune to feeling rubbish and having mental health issues. So I think the more that we talk about it, you know, it's it's a really tough world out there at the moment. There's lots going on externally, which exacerbates internal pressures. Mm -hmm. And I think the more that we can start to break down those barriers and have those conversations as part of normal conversations, the better. Yeah. And Roxanne, I guess in your capacity within Kubrick as being mental health um, first aider, have you noticed, like, is it around this time that you notice people in general, do they reach out to you? Do you get told about people who maybe need that extra bit of support like how how does it usually work um within the company yeah so um there's a team of mental health first aiders at kubrick and so the team is kind of um you know widely advertised on boards around our office so they know that well, when i say they i mean the people who work here yeah. obviously um everybody knows um who we are and um there is kind of a centralized way for people to approach uh, mental health first aid if they want to um to just get that bit of extra support you know sometimes like, like you were saying Melissa it's just a bit of a sounding board it's a place where you can express yourself more freely mm -hmm. but actually to kind of touch on your points um about having that you know it, it's essentially an extension of your network uh, you know your support network yeah. and I think it is really important to be able to vocalize those things at work um you know at Kubrick we we do a lot around, you know, trying to share those vulnerabilities. And um, it's interesting as well, what you said earlier about fixing, you know, it, in my journey with personal therapy, when I first went to therapy, I was like, I just want you to fix me because then I'll feel better and I, I won't have this, have this anymore, yeah, yeah. whatever this might be. Yeah. And actually, 
um, the more self-awareness you develop, like there's always going to be less desirable or more difficult things that come in your life and bring out different sides of you. Um, but actually just having that safe space to share it with people that you trust and feeling like you can be your authentic self at work. Yeah. It's a bit of a cliche, but the closer you can be to who you are in all environments, everywhere you are, yeah. I think that helps kind of break some of those walls down. No, yeah. completely, completely agree. And I don't, I don't disagree at all that we are quite far away from it because there are certain people, you know, whether it's people who are in top positions or, you know, they, they, it's like we don't have time rather than anything. It's not that they always don't care or they don't want to have these conversations. They're just so busy, but it doesn't create that environment all the time where people feel completely free to have those conversations because there are deadlines to meet, there are pressures, there are team objectives, there's all of these things. So it does push these conversations further back down the priority list and I think that when we make these sorts of conversations part of the priority list then it doesn't become like oh it's you know it, it's just a sad day it's a sad day in a sad month it's it's actually like let's change the narrative and shift it around a little bit and just have normal conversations it doesn't have to be a, a super deep one mm -hmm. but just to be able to get some of that um frustration out maybe is is quite positive um sorry yeah, you were I think um it is just the normalization of it, I think. Yeah. And actually, it's all well and good not having time. Busy becomes a currency for importance, mm. and it's not always I reflective. Oh my God, I'm, <laughs> I'm getting out of place. That's amazing. <laughs> um, but if you don't make time for this, it will bite you in the bum later, for mm. want a better expression. Yeah. It, it comes back to haunt you. Um, you know, you, you're, you can be your biggest ally, but also your own worst enemy. So you know, by actually making the time and, and carving out of your day. Mm. Um, and, and you know, making sure that people do understand it should be a priority for team members. Yeah. Um, I think that's the only way we can really change things. Yeah. So Agreed. Well, I want to move on to um, a thing that I have a lot of opinions on is uh, New Year's resolutions. I think it's, <laughs> it's something that people, I, I mean, people tend to just religiously do it because it's so part of our culture and it's just like it's a it's a fun campaign that people do every year new year new me I'm gonna lose 10 pounds I'm gonna put all you know this amount of money into savings but it's it's what strikes me is the immediacy of it because it's not usually structured over a period of a year or or you know forward looking six months it's like come January 1st this has to change and now. So what what do you think of New Year's resolutions in a more general sense? And and how do you think that maybe they could be framed differently to, to help people have less of a pressurised journey with it? Yeah, I mean, I, I think New Year's resolutions, I, I tend not to make them anymore just mm. because I think for some of the reasons that you've just described, you know, they tend to be big, all-encompassing changes, you know, that we expect a whole facet of our personality or a lifestyle to, to miraculously suddenly change um, on January 1st. And actually, you know, then it becomes quite quickly, you realise that you've set yourself up to fail, it becomes unrealistic, and then you spend, you know, a couple of weeks beating yourself up about the fact that you weren't even able to stick to something, and it's only middle of January, and it's all fallen flat on its face. Yeah. So I think, um, I, I do like January as a period of, um, you know, setting out what I'd like to um, achieve throughout the, the coming year, mm. but I think I do it in a way that's much kinder to myself now yeah. these days. Yeah. You know, focusing on what's going to be realistic to maintain across the year, um, ease myself into January for a couple of yeah. weeks because it's 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 inevitably really tough, isn't it, this time of year? Mm. So I think we all need to be really kind to ourselves 
Agreed. I mean, honestly, dry January every every year. Every year I try it. It's the, it's the one month where I need. I just need, I need a glass of wine after work sometimes, and I don't want to feel, you know, that pressure of it's just January and I've got to make up for all the gluttony and all of this. And you know, it's it's really for me. It seems stupid to think that any toxic situation or whatever bad behaviors or whatever it was in December just magically go away with the start of a new year. It's it that it's that thing that really bugs me around new year's resolutions of i'm never going to make that mistake again i'm not going to do that again it's like well, you haven't had a personality transplant <laughs> over christmas so i don't it, yeah it's that whole thing do you do you kind of agree with that yeah i really like what melissa said about kindness like being kind to yourself kind of being gentle with yourself quite often yeah. you know we're almost kind of a bit shell-shocked from coming back to work um or you know getting back into any sort of routines um I think there's also a kind of, it's very individual, right? Because some people thrive off that feeling of, okay, it's a brand new year. I've done self-reflection. I can reassess. I'd, I'd like to have that more focused view. And for some people saying, I'm going to make a massive change really works and it's motivating for them. I think where these things fall down is, you know, if it's from a place of kind of, maybe self-hatred is slightly strong, but dislike or perception of lack, yeah. you can't hate yourself into change. Yeah. Um so I think it's just kind of being mindful of that when you when you set out. Yeah. Um, and also, like, you know, it's very cliche as well. I'm full of it today. But um, yeah. <laughs> I love the <laughs> Yeah, it's, uh, you know, there's always a new start every day, every hour, every minute, if you want. You can start something new and start to make those small changes that are going to go towards achieving something you want or changing something that you're, you think is less optimal about yourself or your yeah. situation. So, yeah. yeah. No, I think that's, I really agree with that. I mean, in, in terms of, at work when you're when you're saying new you know if people have a new year's resolution in regards to work and things aren't happening quick enough I do think that work related stress is one of those things that you genuinely for a lot of reasons financially included you know people need to make money sometimes they feel pressured in a job role or they feel you know work in and of itself is the difficult thing to come back to in January rather than, you know, we, we've talked about all of the other things that contribute towards it, so cold weather and all of that. What advice would you give to people who are struggling at work and work is the main thing that is getting them stressed out in January rather than all of the other factors that come with it? Um, I mean, I, I guess for me, and I, I suppose we're kind of, if we're working on the assumption that there's nothing horrendously wrong in the situation that you're in, you're just stressed about coming back because yeah. that's a different conversation. But I think it's, it's you know, using those networks, speaking to people in general, understand the expectation, you sharing your kind of concerns, like desires, your goals, etc., mm. and kind of socialising that a bit more widely. I think, um, you know, some people who... Um, you know, I'm not saying it's necessarily very successful people or whatever, but you can go a, a bit inner. You, you try and do everything yourself. Yeah. And actually, you know, we've got, hopefully, everyone has got good communities around them in work that, that want to see people succeed. So I would say if, if that is kind of the main stressor for you, then, you know, find those networks, as we spoke about earlier, to get that out, first of all, but then also take some pragmatic steps around, okay, well, what can I do to minimise this for myself and, and reach out and, and see where everyone else is at because you're probably not alone in how you're feeling. Agreed. Yeah, intention without action is is not always the the way that you can get over anything. So I think that that's really key. Um, Melissa, have you, I'm sure you've, in your capacity, have heard lots of people come to you say, I'm stressed about going back in January. Like I've got X, Y, Z to do. Do you ever offer sort of 
constructive advice on how to plan for that or in any sense like that? Yeah, I guess I guess being really aware of your own triggers, you know, I think um, we have so much choice now in work as well. You know, we we talk about one of the good things coming out of the pandemic is the ability to work in a more of a hybrid way. Um, and, you know, I think for, for people in the mental health community, it has been incredibly empowering, you know, that they don't have to always go into the office and some people feel much better set up to be able to manage their own emotions when they're at home. Um, but equally, I think being at home sometimes can be quite triggering as well. It can be quite isolating because you're not able to interact with other people. You're not able to, you know, use those natural points where you'd perhaps pop across to a co- another colleague's desk and have a little chat. So I think being really aware of what works for your own situation yeah. and where you get your energy from, you know, do you get your energy from being at home and being able to be familiar in your own surroundings or do you actually get comfort from being able to talk to others and actually trying to work in a hybrid way that actually benefits your mental health in that respect. Um, But I also think, you know, don't leave it too late before you talk to someone. I think sometimes the thought of speaking to your manager about the fact that, you know, you're not particularly happy at the moment, you feel a bit low, um, when actually you feel like maybe it hasn't got to that point yet or you know it's too early to be raising I think the earlier you can speak to people the better because otherwise sometimes it gets to a point where you then raise it and it's a really big issue and actually I think if you just allowed yourself to have some of those open conversations um, at an earlier stage before things had gone too badly wrong then I think you know sometimes we're often quite pleasantly surprised at the reaction that we get and the support that's actually there you know I think because we don't talk about it all the time, we assume that people are going to judge us. And then when you have the courage to have that conversation, you're really pleasantly surprised at how people rally around you and support you. That's very true. I've always been, like, I've never been negatively surprised by me reaching out to someone, which is key. I don't think there's been one time where I've asked for help and I haven't received it. It's just having the courage to do that because I was thinking about this, actually. Uh, Roxanne and I have very client-facing roles, so we do talk to people a lot, but especially within the data industry, just thinking about consultants even who are behind a screen working on several different screens all day. And I've had the feedback from quite a few that, you know, not for their their managers being you know disconnected or rude or anything, but just they have no need to speak to anyone all day. And that can be quite triggering, especially mm-hmm. in a month like January where you've had such a social month in December and then suddenly all quiet. Mm-hmm. So is it about, you know, it's about proactively I guess setting up time for yourself and other people and not feeling like you're bothering them yeah but yeah. I also think as kind of Melissa was saying um it's it's just learning what works for you best right so of course at Kubrick when our consultants are on site they're still always welcome to come into the office because we kind of recognize that and mm. and quite often if you're going into the working world for the first time um you don't know I mean maybe we're all old enough to say that we worked in an office five days a week for a long period and it's um you know, I've gained like a lot of different skills and I've met a lot of friends and, you know, my social circle for a long time was around that and actually not having that experience and, and, you know, feeling reticent. You might have finished your degree or started it even Mm. um, or, you know, whatever education you're undertaking online and not been in that environment. So I think um, it's all about exploring those different environments and learning exactly as you said, what energizes you, but also recognizing that, you know, that there might be a bit of discomfort, but the gain will be so much greater. And again, just speaking about other people's experiences and, and how they've utilised it. Yeah. When I'm sat at home, if I'm in a miserable mood, 
then there's no one there to change my kind of state. Yeah. But actually, when I come to the office, even if I'm not feeling great, I know I'm going to have some good conversations, going to be some friendly faces here. I'll have a laugh. And um, and yeah, then even if I'm just pretending yeah. that I feel better, by yeah. the end, I'm like, oh, actually, maybe I do. Yeah. So it kind of works. Thanks for you, make. Though, though, even if you are an introvert, I do think there is really something to human interaction. And sometimes I do, like, again, not just singling out the data sector, mm-hmm. but I do see you know, people who are just working behind screens all day, it's, it's their skill sets, they're very good at the job, it's amazing, but real, you know, feeling that worth and like you're part of a connection with someone genuinely just does come from having that interaction. So even if you're, you're shy or whatever, you know, whatever it might be to, to reach out, I think, as we've all said, we've never really had a negative experience from reaching out and just saying, hey, have you got five minutes for a, a quick chat just so I can get some human interaction in a day um and i think that that's quite key um so actually just for anyone listening for from kubrick i wanted to maybe touch on maybe they don't know what a mental health aider does or even people listening from outside and wanted to reach out what does a mental health aider do and what would you offer and how would the process of reaching out work in case someone doesn't know mm-hmm. so mental health first aid is essentially um, kind of a first step of accessing support um, for people who, you know, feel like they maybe there's something bothering them. They want to explore it, and um, and really, mental health first aid is kind of a first line defence against something um, that could turn into something a bit more serious. So, but that's not to say that anybody who's going through anything or maybe just wants a safe space to get something off their chest or discuss it can't reach out but that's kind of the breadth of what we do um and yeah really a mental health first aid role you know it's be very clear it's not a counseling role it's not about that it's our role to listen um to obviously with people's permission without breaking confidentiality to to flag things that may be of concern and also signpost on um to other services or other places that Mm. um might be really beneficial for that person to access so yeah and in terms of reaching out as i mentioned um there is a kind of my face alongside other faces plastered across our office. So um, they, you know, the team um, and the wider Kubrick community know who we are. Um, and so they can reach us at any time. And there's a, a quite a lot of diversity in that team as well, which is really important. Yeah. You know, we yeah. want people to be able to see somebody they can relate to, um, to have that option of, of speaking to, to someone who they feel, you know, they can resonate with um, on whatever level they need to. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. And Melissa, do you want to just allude to some of the work that you've done? Obviously, you don't, you don't have to go too deep into it um, if you don't want to, but uh, it would be great for people to understand, especially from the DEI specialist perspective, um, what that means and, and some of the work that you do. Yeah, I mean, um, I think recognising, I suppose, that you know we're probably sort of just getting into the tip of the iceberg around... Um, how you can best support people from a mental health perspective. You know, there's so many different ways, so many different things from a proactive perspective, you know, from from looking after your wellness and supporting yourself without even recognising that, you know, different cultures and, and um, different communities look on mental health in, in very, very different ways, yeah. you know. And um, I think one of the big things I've learned working with um, Bromley Lewisham and Greenwich Mind is just the importance of being able to, to tap into that. So we try to run some very specific culturally diverse services mm-hmm. to recognise that, you know, if you're from 
a black community, um, perhaps for an Afro-Caribbean community, the way that you traditionally would talk about mental health is probably very different to um, myself as sort of a mixed ethnicity person um, with heritage in, in, in sort of Southeast Asia. So I think it's recognising that there's lots of different layers and facets which make us all human and make us interact in different ways, but not just assuming that everyone will have the same life experience and therefore will respond to the same ways of dealing with things. Right, right, of course. And I think that that's, um, that, that skill set that you both have in order to kind of not put your own opinion into it and just to be a listening ear is something that not not everyone has the capabilities of doing it and it's it's a learned skill as well so you've hope you know you've done training as you've alluded to um i'm sure you've done a great deal of, of, of training around that um for anyone who also wants to be a support for someone if we're flipping it around and they just want to get more involved with with maybe helping out um what sort of steps or training or anything would you would you recommend to be able to really do this in the right way so I think there's there's lots of different ways to to get involved you know um my reasons for for getting involved you know I had my own personal loss um I lost my younger brother suddenly five years ago and um it really I wanted to channel um, the energy that I had into into something positive and make a positive difference. So I decided that, um, you know, mind would be a good place for me to, to use my skills. Um, and so, you know, I joined as a, as a trustee, but there's so many different ways to, to volunteer, you know, whether that is as a trustee, you know, there's so many different organisations out there that all really welcome help and support, particularly in the cost of living crises at the moment, yes. you know, I think. And, and it, you know, it's um it's not all altruistic. I think, you know, I definitely get something really positive from doing it as well. I think our ability as a human to help another human makes us feel good about ourselves as well. So, um, yeah, I think just think about what you're really passionate about where you where you feel you can make a difference the skill set that you'd have to offer yeah. and then just have a look online because there's there's tons and tons of opportunities out there Brilliant. yeah I think um obviously from a Kubrick perspective and I, I guess people in the wider working world obviously mental health first aid is a is a great place to start the training materials and and the training that I went through um was really really great and yeah, I guess as Melissa said, kind of exploring a bit for yourself, like are there opportunities that you feel passionately about? Because when something resonates with you, it is very infectious. Yeah. Um, and yeah, for, for me um, personally, like, like I kind of shared before, um, my experience with personal therapy kind of really led me into thinking, you know, I, I want to find out more about this. So I, I looked at some kind of skills training around kind of listening and kind of therapeutic style things to to kind of have a bit of an explore and understand what that really meant um and then I kind of did the mental health first aid here and yeah really um yeah it is you know it does it does make you feel good mm. um as well as kind of giving back and hopefully being that kind of helpful um listening ear non-judgmentally for others yeah. yeah just I guess to round off we've had some amazing insight I told you what I wanted to do was learn from both of you and I've learned a lot in the last 45 minutes so um to, to finish off I've got an article from um, Signet Healthcare and they've got a specific article which came out very, very recently on how to beat the January blues and giving 10 top tips. So just sort of bite-sized chunks of things that people can take and do and it's very action-oriented to try and beat them. I was thinking I could just sort of round off the top 10 tips and then maybe see if any of them match up with your personal ones and see if not what your personal top three tips would be. So to kick off, tip one, 
understand that it's normal um you know biological biological reasons why many people feel low and just understand not beating yourself up being kind to yourself as you mentioned tip two get as much daylight as possible um we are in england and it's not the sunniest of places but um that's that's the second tip tip three keep fit and stay active so maintaining even a walk at lunchtime they're saying is is you know gentle exercise not not forcing any you know huge amounts of cardio because then that's that's aligns with gotta lose the weight quickly uh tip four avoid unrealistic new year's resolutions tip five eat properly um tip six we haven't talked about this but actually sleeping well is another one they've said uh tip seven learn a new skill tip eight get help for financial pressure tip nine is interesting use positive daily affirmations so i don't know if either of you do that and tip 10 be grateful for what has happened so focusing on the positive things taking place around you no matter how small so those are those are the 10 i guess steps in which they said it 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 does create some sort of positive energy and flow within you. Would any of your own personal tips align with that or are any of them significantly different? Yeah, no, I think some some great tips in there. Um, I think the one about um, sort of gratitude yes. is, is, is important. I think sometimes it can feel a bit cheesy to, um, yeah. you know, to keep a gratitude diary. But I do think, you know, we're quick always to beat ourselves up about the things that go wrong and actually... If we were, you know, proper cheerleaders for ourselves, mm-hmm. we'd probably spend more time looking at what's actually gone right and celebrating the wins. I think we're quick to gloss over what's gone well and actually focus on where we want to beat ourselves up because we we did something wrong or we failed at our resolutions. And, you know, rather than looking at it a bit more holistically and being a bit more of a friend to ourselves. So I think that's an interesting one, but you've got to do it in a way that feels authentic to you because otherwise, you know, if you're constantly trying to look for the positives and write them down, if it's, if it's just not you, it's not going to feel right. But yeah, I think the balance is important, you know, we all want to do more exercise. We all want to eat more healthily. And I think when you can do it, but equally don't beat yourself up if it doesn't always if it doesn't always go to plan. Just yeah. wake up and as you said, reset. We get lots of new moments every day. Um, so yeah, just go for it again. I think photophile is the right word. I love light. I know that yeah. sounds like whatever film that's from. Love yeah, lamp. that's definitely from um, something. I don't know where it's from, <laughs> um, but it is. Yeah, um, but... When I get my first kind of really strong January blues feeling, I am on timeanddate.com. This isn't sponsored. Um, And I will look at when it will be light, when I have to get up and when I will finish work. And I put it in my calendar. And so for me, this year is the 24th of February. So I'm like, okay, that's not that far. No, um, oh, that's so interesting. Could you just say the website? What's it called? <laughs> Timeanddate.com. Timeanddate.com. <laughs> not um, sun, sunrise and sunset times. Right. I know, like that just works for me because I love it when it's light and it's light when I get up, even if it's you know a minute after Ooh. and when I officially should finish work. Yeah. Um. So, I think. Yeah, the diet and exercise one is always very interesting. There's lots of societal pressure around this time to make those big changes and and maybe internalising that. But I think um, nourishment, whatever that means for you, Mm. you know, like whether that is eating properly, maybe it's a walk, maybe it's, you know, self-care or whatever that looks like for you. I think being gentle and kind of nourishing yourself with what you need and being in tune with yourself as much as possible around what those things are. Um, Yeah, I really liked some of those tips, I guess. um, Yeah, the gratitude one, it's something that I have struggled with historically, I think. Mm. I think it, it can feel 
depending on maybe your background, your culture as well, it, it can feel a bit cringy or a yeah. bit inauthentic. Um, but I have tried to incorporate that a bit more. And yeah, I think it's just that slight framing of the positive more, you know, moving towards things that kind of make you feel good as, as much as is possible. Yeah. Um, and something else I try and do is um, I don't, I'm not very good at keeping affirmations, mm -hmm. um, but I do try and say positive things to other people that I know or care about or I think are doing well or I think look great or, you know, whatever. I think trying to put a bit more positive stuff out into the world kind of changes my mind a little bit anyway so yeah those are those are really really good additions um I'm gonna throw one into the mix because I I do this a lot I am probably the most self-deprecating person ever anyone gives me a compliment it's like I just bat it off or I say something funny back wit is my go-to thing and I just I my it's my defense mechanism <laughs> anyone says anything nice to me I'm just like, oh, don't be stupid. Like, you know, it's it's, the, it's a reflex thing. But somewhere along the line, you begin to internalize those things. So I think accepting nice things that other people say to you actually helps you. Because if you accept it, it's, quite, it's just a nice thing to hear from from people that someone else is viewing you. It, you may think that you, you know, you're not doing this, you're not doing that. January's come around, you still got all of these things that you want to, you know, I'm not like this, I'm not like that. But then if someone else, and, and people, like you said, often do. You've made a concerted effort to do that. People do. People are nice inherently. But you've also got to learn to accept that and not bat that away the entire time. So I have tried recently to accept, you know, compliments and things like that and not just be so harsh about myself. And even if it's in a funny, self-deprecating way, you do tend to internalise it at some point. So I don't know if anyone's defense mechanism is wit like me but um it has helped because then you start to you know be a bit kinder to yourself and say oh okay this person said I'm you know nice today or whatever it is and I don't have to you know it's not being conceited or this that the other if I accept it and don't make a joke about it or make light of the situation and just say that's very nice thank you um so yeah, that, that's a tip that has actually worked quite well for me, but that's because I'm a very specific type of personality. So if anyone resonates with that, then then try it. It might work for you. Um, it's yeah. that internal voice. I think really checking that. That's not just a New Year's thing, but I think yes, exactly. the more cognizant you are of that voice and who that voice is, is it you? Yeah. You know, like, I don't know. It's quite an interesting concept, but just on those... Um, like little interactions. I was having a conversation the other day about um, how valuable they actually are, like a small connection with a stranger. And I think this goes back into what we were saying earlier about being in an office. Mm. Um, you know, you can have that kind of human to human connection, even just catching someone in the kitchen, someone that you don't know, yeah. someone who it works in a coffee shop or at the checkout or whatever. And actually those things can be really invigorating, yeah. you know, and, and putting, you know, it's maybe karmic or whatever yeah. but actually you know putting get, rocky if you gave out some more of those compliments to people maybe you'd find it easier I to know. take them I, back but right do you know what's so funny is that i i genuinely i'm very very complimentary to other people yeah. i just cannot accept it's very it's weird the way it's wired and i always put it down to sort of british british culture yeah. and we're in work and this is just you know it's professional so we just go nope not interested but it's nice if you can give out a compliment you should also be able to take one and when you're in the january blues and you're down in the dumps and everything is 
rubbish and work's going crap and your love life's awful and everything, everything, everything's just <laughs> oh, wow. gone to yeah. We're in a therapy session now, yeah, everybody. It's not me personally, just yeah. saying, just speaking for a friend. Um, but no, it is, it's important to just do things that work well for you, like yeah. you both have said. And I think it, that's a learning discovery, but I think everyone seems to go through some version of the January blues. So hopefully something within this conversation has sparked an idea to change um, just a little something, not in a New Year's resolution way, because as you know, we've said, it's not necessary, but little things that bring you joy um, in a month that is predominantly clouded with uh, not so great stuff. Um, we hope that you, you've you taken that uh, from this conversation. So thank you both for joining. Um, yeah. I actually oh, feel really positive. I thought I'd come out of this feeling really, <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you, I thought I'd come out feeling totally different, but I feel very uplifted. And I think um, hopefully people who are listening feel the same way, but any last thoughts or it's incremental gains mm. tiny things can really change your outlook and change your life over time yeah um that sounds a bit dramatic it wasn't meant to be, but like <laughs> we're all about the drama on the one percent baby that's all you need <laughs> that's it. um but yeah just small changes in a kind way um i've seen good effects from that so yeah and I think, like like we said earlier, you know, um, it is quite tough out there at the moment, mm-hmm. you know. I think COVID, um, sort of in this post-COVID world, um, things, you know, we, we know differences have been exacerbated and um, challenges for underrepresented groups and for young people have, have, have been really increased. Um, and so I think, you know, recognising that it's, it, is, it is tough out there and to be kind to yourself yeah. and, you know, talk to people and and continue to break down the stigma yeah definitely love it love it all right thank you both so much for being on the podcast it's been such a pleasure and thank you all for listening to this first 2023 episode of diversifying data uh, i've been your host raki sharma and looking forward to uh well not speaking to you all but uh recording the next podcast for you all thank, thank you. you thank you thanks